This is the Ruminant Podcast, and I'm Jordan Marr. The Ruminant is a website devoted to sharing good ideas for farmers and gardeners. On the site, you can find all the past episodes of this podcast, various essays that I've written, the odd book review, and also submissions from other readers with their own farming ideas, complete with pictures and videos. There's a ton on there that I think you'll like, and I hope you'll check it out. That's at theruminant.ca. You can also chat with me, editor at theruminant.ca, or at Ruminant Blog on Twitter. You can also find us on Facebook. All right, let's do a show. Hi, folks. It's going to be a quick intro this week because it's real busy on the farm. This week's guest is Randy Cutler, who is a gentleman that I encountered out at the Moses Organic Conference in Wisconsin. He's an expert on fencing and had given a presentation at the conference that I missed. But he sent me the presentation. I took a look and used it uh, to form the basis of an interview with him. So in our interview, Randy covers a bunch of quickfire basics, uh, basic considerations when you're thinking about fencing, mainly for livestock. We go through some of the main considerations when you're uh, planning and then placing your fence. And in the end, he kind of takes me through a number of different livestock species and special considerations with each species with regards to electric fencing. He is super knowledgeable. I really enjoyed talking to him, and I think you're going to enjoy hearing from him. At the very end of the talk, he talks about a webinar he'll be giving in early May in which he'll go into way more depth. So this interview is really just a taste, and if you like what you hear and you want to learn more from Randy, you can attend the webinar. You'll get a lot more in-depth information, but you'll also be able to ask questions at the webinar. So right near the end of our conversation, he talks about how you can find that webinar. What else do I want to say? I did not receive any listener submissions this week. I will remind you that I really, really want to hear from you with an idea or insight or piece of advice that you have for other farmers and gardeners, something you're doing within your own farm business or even your own home garden that you think other growers and farmers uh, would appreciate knowing about. If you were going to speak at a conference, what would you speak about? That would be a good, uh, a good thing to submit to me. Uh, you can submit it a few different ways. You can text me at 250-767-6636 with a brief summary, like super brief, and I'll make a make a and I'll arrange to call you back and we can talk about it for a few minutes. You can leave a voicemail on my Skype number. It's an American number, 310-734-8426. You can email me, editor at theruminant.ca, and give me a summary, and then I'll call you back. I really think these submissions are going to be appreciated by other listeners, so I hope you'll consider doing that. That's about it. It is crazy on the farm right now, so I'm just going to shut up. And, uh, well, here's the guy you're going to be hearing from today. Hello, I'm Randy Cutler uh, from Melador, Wisconsin. I was born and raised on this farm, uh, born in 1950, been farming all my life. I have a degree in agriculture education, started uh, Cutler Fence LLC about uh, 11 years ago, and then uh, building fences for livestock all over the state of Wisconsin and some UP, Upper Peninsula. Randy Cutler, welcome to the Ruminant Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. So I think I'll just start from a slide earlier in your presentation, Randy. Um, I noticed that you you bought your farm in about 1976, and on your presentation you mentioned you inherited bad fences. So what did you mean by that? Um, Well... This farm was established in uh, the, about the 20s or 30s, and 
my father had farmed here, raised dairy cattle, but uh, in 1956 they had an auction and quit uh, raising dairy cattle, so the fences kind of deteriorated since then, and I took over, what would that be, 20 years later. So I had to really start over, basically. And so did you figure out a good solution right away, or did you make some mistakes as you tried to improve your fencing situation? No, I made plenty of mistakes, that's for sure. Um, I used barbed wire, and I used different types of, uh, uh, tried to do some different types of electric fencing, and uh, I was introduced to a fence uh, company and uh, started using some of their products. Uh, I've been raising sheep here, and uh, they're pretty difficult to control as far as contain in the fence, so it makes a difference what products you use and how you how you establish a fence for them so i learned a lot by making mistakes okay so so um randy years later after you you improved your own fences you kept farming you eventually started a fence company so you've come to be quite an expert in fencing and i i think before i get you to take us through aspects of your presentation i'm just wondering are there any really common mistakes people make with regard when they when they when it comes time to to you know, put in fencing or to, to solve their fencing problem? Yeah, the I think the most common mistake people make is uh, improper corners. By uh, not bracing their corners, uh, not digging them in deep enough, um, not making a sturdy corner or braced corner. That's the first mistake. And uh, then there's a couple other mistakes you make if you're using an electric fence. Uh, by um, having things too rigid and having too many posts and using any steel product in within an electric fence. That's the most common common um, errors that I see people make. And wh- why do people choose steel so often when doing electric? I don't know. I, there's a lot of good options. Other than steel, I think mostly it's just not understanding how electric fences work mm-hmm. and not realizing that a steel T-post really is a ground rod and uh, and um, most of their troubles occur when the electricity goes through the steel T-post into the ground and then they get low voltage or no respect. Right, right. Not much of a mental barrier at that point. Right. So and it's it just thinking about it, it seems to me, Randy, that, um, you know, I can just see how how so many fencing projects go wrong, both because there's there's seems to be a real knowledge and skill to putting in a fence properly and choosing the materials and all that, but also it just seems to me like a real candidate for cheaping out on. Uh, you know, because there's so many options, you must see lots of people who simply don't want to spend enough, um, and ult- ultimately over time, I would think spend a lot more dealing with all kinds of problems because they haven't put the right fencing in. Right. That's exactly right. <clears throat> There's a lot of different materials out there. And when you purchase material for, especially for uh, electric fencing and, and for um, for physical barriers, you need to pick something that's going to last at least 10 years or longer. Um, a, a post, that a wood post, that'll last 20 to 30 years. Uh, a type of uh, coating on the steel wire that will last up to 30 years. Um plastic uh, insulators that won't break down from the sun and will last at least five to ten years, uh, 
and the type of wire you use uh, that and the coating on the wire is makes a big difference in the length of the longevity of the of the materials and the ease to work with as well all right so so I've thought of two follow-up questions after that um, the first is I, I'm asking you to generalize here but is there like a price per, if you're dealing with livestock is there a price per foot of fencing below which you just would recommend people stay above um, just because you know what's the cheapest per foot price someone could spend if they expect to manage their livestock properly well <clears throat> pricing per foot is difficult to uh, to estimate because uh, um, if you're fencing 160 acres square it's going to be a lot less price per foot than if you have uh, um, four or five acres in a in a long rectangle but generally speaking, if you have a square 40, um, pricing by the foot for a four-wire four high tensile electric fence should cost you around a dollar a foot or less. Um, if you're using barbed wire, it should be about a dollar fifty a foot. If you're using woven wire, it should be about two dollars and twenty-five cents a foot. Okay, so and that's kind of some typical costs for a square 40. Every time you put in a corner or you stop and you start, you're going to add about $100 to the cost of the fence, um, plus the gate. And I guess that's an important point if someone has the option of, how, of the shape they ultimately choose for, for their, for their fenced-in area. Hey, the less corners and, and uh, turns and everything, the cheaper it's going to be. Exactly. <clears throat> People ask me all the time, what does it cost? How much will my fence cost? I have 10 acres or I have 20 acres. Um, and I have to ask them, well, what's the design or what's the shape? If it's a square, I can calculate the, the number of feet around. But if it's a rectangle, I can't calculate until I see the design. So I, requ I, I request that the customer then get and sends me at least a drawing or design of his fence so then I can calculate where the corners are. And I also need to know where he's locating the gates so that I can then determine the stop and the start uh, at each gate. And it makes a difference if the gate is in the corner or in the middle. And all that is, uh, is essential in order to make an accurate estimate for the cost. Okay. And one another question I, I thought of when you were, were talking about um, thinking about materials that will last over time. I, I'm a farmer who's currently farming on a lease. It, it, it's irrelevant because I'm not... I'm not, I'm certainly not livestock farming, but, but I know there are lots of farmers, young farmers who are facing short-term tenure. They don't know if they're going to be on the land a long, a long time. What if you're, I can even think of a couple colleagues who, who want to raise livestock on a lease and they don't have long-term security on the land. If they've got to do some fencing, what would you recommend to people like that? Where, where, you know, it, it may not, they're going to have to spend extra for those materials to last a long time and they may not be able to take the fence with them and, and they may, therefore it may not be cost effective for them to invest. Are there fencing options for people like that? Yes, there are. Um, I would recommend for someone who's starting out uh, with some rented property to use uh, some portable fencing to start with. It's always nice to have some restricted area where you have uh, hard fencing, physical barrier, a portion where you can lock them in, a barn or a building or a yard. That's always really the best. But I find that those people who start out with uh, 
poly wire, portable fencing, teach their livestock the respect to uh, portable fencing, um, they become a lot better at, uh, at rotation of grazing. They, be, they understand uh, electric, electric fence better, and they actually become a much better manager of, uh, of the land if they learn how to pr- uh, properly use portable electric fencing. That's really funny. Um, this is a weird analogy, but when I was young, I did a lot of mountain biking, and back then, in the 90s, all you had was a rigid frame. You didn't have any any suspension or shocks, and I'm convinced that taught me to be the best, like a way better mountain biker, because I had to learn how to how to uh, use my body to to, to absorb um, to absorb shock. And once I got onto the nicer bikes, the newer bikes with suspension, I was a better cyclist for it. It sounds like almost a, a similar situation when you're forced to use that that portable electric fencing. Mm-hmm. Right. Once you learn how to use the portable electric fence, once you teach your animals respect with uh, portable electric fencing, if you're going to rotational graze, uh, you have to use the portable fencing anyhow. So if you can get respect on the portable uh, products, from the portable products, and move, move animals with that, then that's the key to really uh, a good success in, in, in grazing livestock. The only trouble is, is here we have what's called the winter, and uh, doesn't work so well during the winter time. Although I do have some, I, I do have some uh, techniques in order to make even portable fencing work appropriately during the winter. Well, could you talk about those? One of the problems with uh, electric fencing is uh, that uh, the electricity uh, comes from the fence charger and shoots down the line. And um, once it touches, uh, once the animal touches it, preferably with its wet nose, electricity then has to go down into the ground, through the ground, back to the ground rods, and then from the ground rods it travels to the negative post on the fence charger. Once that circuit is complete, then, then the light bulb goes on and then the animal feels the shock. So as long as that circuit can be completed, um, electric fences work. But when there's a inch of ice and four inches of snow above that, uh, that's an insulator. So we can't get the electricity to go, go back from the electric line back to the fence charger. In order, in order to make that work, we need two, lo- two lines. One's hooked to the positive on your fence charger. One's hooked on the negative on the fence charger. So when the animal then touches both the positive and the negative line, then they can feel the charge. I so see. that's what we do a lot of times in the wintertime, especially where we have uh, pre-placed round bales for beef cattle or sheep or even dairy cattle uh, or horses. That works quite well. And fairly easy to set it up, that kind of, that, that kind of setup? Right. You just need two, two wires and make sure that one wire goes back to the ground and the other wire goes back to the hot post on the or a positive post on the fence charger. And I suppose that, I mean, it makes me wonder, like when you say teaching your animals to have respect, you know, for that mental barrier, so that ideally they're not even trying the fence, how long How long does that take for, for an unconditioned animal on average? Like, can it be done in in one spring and summer so that by the winter you're having less animal fence interactions in the first place, or does it take longer than that? I'm not a livestock guy, so I, I wouldn't know the answer. Basically, it's just one one incident 
um, it's just like you. If you were to touch the electric fence and feel 4,000 volts through your body, you realize immediately that you don't want that pain again. Mm-hmm. Like my uh, like my nephew said one day, oh, Grandpa I, or, or Uncle, I just can't take the pain. I can't take the pain, he said, <laughs> when he touched the fence. So, yeah, it's it's a jolt. Uh, uh, it's a high voltage for a very short period of time, and uh, it's something that you remember for a long time. So once a lamb touches it for the first time, it remembers that electric fence. We were taking a walk here two nights ago, and my dog was walking along, and uh, she hit the fence, and uh, she won't go outside today. <laughs> we had a similar. We do have a small electric fence for some horses on the farm, and we had a similar incident with the dog as a puppy who has never gone back in the horse paddock since the time he got right. shocked. <laughs> so there you go. That animal's been trained. Now, some animals like sheep, for example, have a sm- small brain and seems like they seldom use it. I have sheep myself. But they take a little more to train than than other animals. Certain breeds of animals are more resistant to electric fencing, more apt to try to get under, over, or through than other breeds are. Um, and certain species are a lot easier to control than others. For example, horses have a really good big flat foot that sinks into the ground, and they so they don't need a very large shock in order to control them. You can get by with a lot lower voltage on your fence charger. Pigs are another one. They ground really easy, so they don't need a really high charge. Uh, you can use a smaller fence charger. Sheep, on the other hand, and uh, boar goats or meat goats, they're probably one of the most difficult animals to control. You need higher voltage on your fence, you need more wires closer together. Right. Well, Randy, before we move on, I just like, it's funny, we, I didn't, we kind of meandered into this topic of portable electric fencing and then electric fencing in general. The reason we talked about it is because I asked you about people on leases who don't have, you know, long-term security and don't want to invest in, in uh, more permanent fencing. But then you, you said, well, it's good anyway, because it's, you become a better farmer and a better, you know, hus- husbandman uh, or husband woman when you, when you have to are, work with that kind of fencing why not why not recommend it to everyone then is it more expensive to work with like like in what scenarios would you say no no go for the i, I guess what i'm just asking is if you're a landowner why not still recommend to them the portable electric fencing option i do in most cases uh but there's a lot of situations where um we don't have uh real good maintenance um abilities um where we have remote settings, where we uh, um, aren't real um, knowledgeable about electricity, and where we need uh, uh, extreme uh, situations where we're going to have animals that have restricted feed situations. In those cases, we're going to need physical barriers. Another situation where we get really big high pressure buffalo for example uh respect electric fence uh, a lot but if they get pushed they'll just run right through it uh so we need some areas that have to have a physical barrier you need to have some place on your farm where you can the you can say uh i'm locked them in for the night and uh, i know they're safe i know they're secure in this in this uh area 
and in most cases the the best product for that is is a a netting or a woven wire fence right and that's a really good point for for both the landowner but but i think specifically for the leaseholder is is at least having one smaller area that can hold all the all the herd um that is is more sturdy so you just don't have to worry when you just you need to know that they're not going to get out one of the other situations sometimes arises with legality uh most townships, uh, villages, uh, counties, uh, even states have different rules for fencing. <clears throat> and uh, if your livestock uh, are uh, on the road or get hit by a vehicle, uh, sometimes lawsuits can occur if you don't have what's called a legal fence. So people need to look at what's a legal fence in their in their municipality and uh, some of them have really specific rules about what they are and in a lot of cases a legal fence is a physical barrier a bar barbed wire fence or a woven wire fence at a certain height uh, right okay well what i'd love to do is get you to to zoom through um you know some considerations when you're about to when you want to put a fence in so um if I have you right, you break it down into three major uh, areas: planning, placement, and practicality. So, um, with regards, you, so you really emphasize that 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 you got to plan the heck out of your fence before you actually go and, and put it in. So, what are some things you need to think about when you're gonna when you're gonna plan your fence? Okay, first of all, you have to you have to consider the species. So, what species are you going to uh, are you are you going to keep? Uh, and uh, are you thinking about multiple species? Uh, certainly a lot different fence for boar goats than it is for pigs or it is for poultry or it is for horses. So if you're going to keep horses, goats, sheep, and pigs, then you have to have the ultimate fence that has all of the things that meet the criteria to, uh, to keep all those animals in. The other thing to consider is in some cases and around here, you have predators that are going to maybe attack your livestock. So you may need to do something about protection for for predators. So that's another thing to consider. The next thing to consider is your is your uh, the lay of the land, your topography, um, and uh, where the water runs, where the where the um, the dips and and uh, hills hills are the contour and how you want to want to maintain that fence on the contour how you what kind of maintenance is going to be involved in uh, a fence that uh, maybe uh, has a lot of ups and downs if you can kind of get on the ridge or in areas like that. Um, and uh, and then of course uh, when you're along the road you need to consider the the legality of it. Uh, what uh, if you're along a county road and uh, right away and you need to make sure that you're you're away from the right away and uh, what your municipality's rules are as far uh, as far as what offense where offense can be pla- placed al- along the road. Um, also the. Um, how you're going to maintain the outside of the fence or the inside of the fence is something you need to consider. And where you're going to locate your gates. <clears throat> so many people are, are uh, 
in some cases, great gate crazy. They want to put a gate in just about every line. Whether you need, do you really need a gate here, or don't you need any gates? Um, think about where your gates need to, to be, and what do you want to use a gate for? If you're going to use a gate to move livestock, then it, you have to have that gate on a corner. So uh, unless you've got an army of people to move animals through that gate, um, you don't want to put it in the middle of the fence because it takes a group to try to get them to to uh, convince them to go through that gate. If it's on the corner, they just flow like water right through. The, if you're going to have... Um, uh, machinery, if you're going to drive machinery in there, if you need to make hay or, or rotate into some type of crop, uh, then you might need a fairly large gate, and uh, that probably won't be practical to put that necessarily on a corner. So maybe in the middle of the, uh, or, or off away from the corner would be the best place to locate that gate. Right. Um, I, I saw in, in this section in your in your uh, presentation a couple other uh, stuff related to land. You were talking about um, nutrient management and I, I, because it was just a point on your slide. I didn't know what you meant. Right. <clears throat> um, I'm kind of a stickler for nutrient management here. We were doing several things on, on our farm to try to contain nutrients here on our farm and not let them run down to the creek and down through to the Mississippi. So as long as we're producing nutrients here, we want to try to keep them here and then use them uh, for growing, growing feed for our livestock or food for, for people. We need to we need to locate fences uh, so that we can uh, we can control the runoff of uh, of uh, the manure, etc. If we got barnyards or uh, yarded areas uh, areas where we feed livestock, we need to have uh, fences uh, to protect the critical areas uh, where the wa- so that the water doesn't flow through that those the feedlot areas and uh, run away from our farm so we can capture the nutrients in uh, maybe a grass waterway or or uh, some other uh, structure uh, so that uh, we can then then keep the nutrients and then maybe move them to a different uh, location on the farm so uh, nutrient management uh, has some stuff to do with uh, basically design uh, of your farm and design of according to the topography and uh, the the way the land lays, um, it gets kind of uh, complicated to describe, I guess, in, in that respect. But uh, uh, basically, just keeping the animals out of uh, of areas that could be contaminated by manure. And okay, so it's 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 great. I mean, you've kind of, Randy, you've kind of gone from planning and, and we, and you've already touched on placement and which includes, you know, gate considerations and and stuff like that. Um, and we've even already talked about stuff in your, in your third kind of, um, consideration of practicality, um, fence types, mental versus physical, that sort of thing. Um, I just, I noted, well, this is a good time to ask you and, 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 you know, you've already acknowledged that you own a fencing company. So, so, you know, people can, can, can consider what biases you may have, but, but it really, it, I got the sense in your, in your presentation that, well, I'll just ask you, do you, do you recommend for us, for 
um, for a big fencing job to hire a company? It, it, I really got the sense that, that you do. Um, <clears throat> I don't know about a big fencing company. There are some big fencing companies uh, that probably aren't real good at making Oh, sorry, sorry, Randy. I'll, I that's I didn't either. I misspoke or you misunderstood. I said I what I meant to say was, um, if you have a big fencing job, do you recommend hiring a company, whether it's big or small, like getting professionals in? I do. Um, I I do jobs for people or estimates for people who are going to make their own fence, um, and I I advise them. I prepare estimates for them. I prepare bills and materials for them, and I sell the materials a lot of times but a, a lot of these people are are not experienced enough to make a fence in a small short enough time uh to make it economically to economically justify their time uh in a lot of cases uh people will say i'm going to build my own fence and about two months later i get a phone call saying i just haven't gotten it done can you come and help so in that case, they're a lot better off. I could have done the fence two months ago, and uh, they would have they would have been grazing all this uh, all summer. The other thing is that we pound our posts with a hydraulic post pounder, and as we drive our corner posts, I'm talking about five inch, six inch diameter posts uh, for the corners and the braces, and we drive them in with a hydraulic post pounder. Those posts. They put, um, and they don't move around, while if you auger a hole and then sink your post in and tamp it down, it just seems like every time you put a brace on, you do have some movement in a post like that. So if you can get a, a post pounder and, and drive those corners or, or wood posts in the ground, they stay uh, a lot better, and they're more resistant to frost heaving as well. And as you, uh, you know, uh, you just pointed out that something that, you know, maybe I should have occurred to me, but it didn't, you don't have to go all the way. You could, you can hire a company simply to do the estimate. You can hire a company to do parts of the job to just, just, I mean, I guess just put in those crucial corner sections, That's correct. whatever. So you can choose the amount that you want to spend on the professionals and then figure what you can do yourself and and save money that way. I guess that depends on the professional. (laughs) That's right. But that is the case. That is the case with with our fence company, and uh, we do do some situations where we just go and uh, put the corners in, uh, put some braces on, um, and then uh, maybe the farmer has a, their own crew, and they'll pull wire, or they'll put in line posts, or they'll, uh, or they'll put the clips in, etc. And um... so I I say, well, you guys can do the dumb jobs. <laughs> well, that's a good it's good good way to do it. And I suppose it, another reason it doesn't hurt to, to get an estimate anyway for, for a job is because um, I just get the sense with all the options you were that were covered in your presentation that, that there are probably many fencing options that, that a lot of people aren't even aware of when they're, when they're planning their fence and that, that a professional can, can at least make them aware of, of some of those approaches. Right. One example of that is the, the, the different types of woven wire. <clears throat> woven wire is... Uh, is uh, described by a series of numbers. Uh, the first number, for example, if uh, woven wire is a 939.6, those series of numbers mean the first number is 9, meaning the number of, of uh, horizontal wires. So there's 9 horizontal wires. Um, 
939.6. So the second number is 39. That's the number of inches in height of the woven wire, 39 inches. Six, the last number, is the number of inches between vertical wires. So you, you need to look at the woven wire to see what kind of product you have. Right, that's a that's a great example. <laughs> it's it's something I didn't know about. And then there's 12 gauge wire, there's 14 gauge wire, there's different gauges, uh, different diameter. The 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 lower the number of the gauge, the thicker the wire. Um, and then there's the tensile strength. The higher the tensile strength, the harder it is for, for the wire to be pulled apart. And uh, most of the wire that that most all. Uh, just about all of the wire that we use today is what, what's called high tensile wire. Either the woven wire is high tensile, the barbed wire is high tensile, and the electric, the smooth electric wire is high tensile. And uh, that wire is uh, is a lot stronger, um, lasts longer. Then the other thing is the coating on the wire. You need to make sure that the, the wire is coated, and I recommend a class 3 galvanized versus a class 1 galvanized. And uh, you can then look at those things, the, the coating on the wire, the thickness of the wire, the number of strands, and all that's going to uh, determine the cost of the, of the wire itself. So some people say, oh, I went to the farm store and that roll of wire is only like $125 and you're charging 200 So you got to compare apples to apples. Well, generally speaking, then, where is a good place if it, you know, I imagine the best place is not the hardware store or the farm store or the farm store. Where, where do people get, you know, a decent, the best deal they're going to get on quality wire fencing and other types of well, fencing? Well, I, I would recommend researching some of the um, fence companies, the fence supply companies, first of all. There's several good quality companies that uh, have very good catalogs that are quite educational. Um, can I mention a few? Yeah, why not? Sure. Um, Gallagher is probably one of the world's uh, largest as far as electrical fence uh, products go. Uh, they got a lot of experience uh, with electric fence. So Gallagher uh, North America is a place to look for electric fence. Premier Fence Company out of Iowa has a wonderful catalog and very, very good descriptions of all of the different products that they sell. They're probably the premier company as far as uh, as netting goes, uh, portable electric netting. And Kencove is another national company that uh, has a real good catalog, uh, does a good job of showing you different uh, materials for building your own fences. So I'd recommend looking at those websites to start with. The other one is uh, PowerFlex Fence, also out of Missouri, has uh, has a lot of products, uh, especially for rotational grazers and information. And they then evaluate those different products and tell you the differences uh, in in the products, uh, what makes them them different uh, from each other, and uh, why they're priced why they're priced the way they're priced, and also. Those, all those companies do have web uh, websites and information that you can uh, look at in order to uh, determine what kind of products are going to be best for you. Okay. So, Randy, I'd like to finish off our conversation with just uh, perhaps getting a few comments from you on, on different species with regards to fencing. 
Um, does that sound all right? Yes. Okay. Sure. So I'm just going to start with sheep. Can you can you give like so. uh, can you give some advice, <laughs> just some general that's advice that is well general advice about sheep, but specific to sheep with regards to fencing? Okay, let's start with sheep. Um, I've raised sheep all my life here, and several different breeds of sheep. So some sheep are, like I said before, some sheep may be a little bit more difficult to control than others. But if you look at a sheep while it walks through the pasture, its head uh, its head is down. And as it walks, its head is down. And when it gets to a fence, what it's going to do, it's going to go under. So we have to have our wires close to the ground when we're talking about sheep. Um, two inches, three inches from the from the ground. Now, uh, with a woven wire or a barbed wire, you can go with eight barbs or a woven wire. Uh, with electric fence, you need to be about eight to ten inches off the ground. Uh, posts need to be fairly close together uh, with electric fence in order to keep it eight to ten inches off the ground. Probably twenty to thirty feet apart with electric fence. With a high tensile woven wire or barbed wire, they need to be about sixteen to eighteen feet apart for sheep. And your top wire can be as low as 36 inches for sheep because generally they don't really jump over a lot. And if you have a sheep that jumps over 36 inches, it's probably going to jump over 42 and 48. So <laughs> that I'd recommend that you eat that one. <laughs> okay. It's the same situation with goats, uh, only it's a little more critical. Uh, goats are very intelligent and uh Dairy goats are a little bit easier to make, to take care of than than uh, meat goats. Uh, they respect the fence fairly well, especially your traditional uh, dairy breeds. But when it gets to uh, your Spanish goats or goats from the south or uh, or uh, boar goats, uh, the meat type goats, they're going to challenge the fence all the time. So if you have an electric fence, you need to you need to have high voltage on that, and you need to have a fence that's not only eight inches off the ground, but 48 inches on the top. And uh, if you have a woven wire, it's probably best to have an electric, an offset electric on the inside to keep them off from the fence. They'll try to even climb up the fence. So goats are the biggest challenge. Horses are very easy. Horses can get by with one hot wire or two hot wires without any trouble. Some horses, you can turn the fence off for half the year, and they're not even going to bother it. Uh, so you can kind of have an on-your-honor fence w for a horse, it seems. They're about the simplest to, uh, to control as they get. Although the thing about horses is they move fast. Uh, they don't think a lot before they get to a fence, so uh, they do get in trouble uh, a lot with electric fence and so most companies don't recommend a smooth high tensile wire they recommend what's called a horse safe fence or uh, a netting fence where they can't get their foot stuck in between or an electric fence that's much more visible as far as beef cattle go the best beef cattle fence is uh, either a four or five barbed wire or a four wire high tensile electric uh, the bottom wire needs to be as high as possible. Um, if you've got cattle are controlled electrically by, the, by their chest height. So wherever the height of, the, of uh, their chest comes on the fence, that's where you need to have a hot wire. So basically somewhere between 18 and 24 inches could be the bottom wire. The top wire should be, should be 48. As far as dairy cattle goes, 
They're fairly easy to control as well. The thing about dairy cattle is you need a lane because you have to get them out and bring them back in twice a day. So you need a lane in that situation. Um, but, again, uh, high tensile electric fences, three wires is quite adequate, adequate for dairy cattle. Dairy cattle. Um, for all those species, I would, again, recommend some type of hardware, some type of physical barrier, some type of corral, uh, you know, in an area where they can be contained in case you have some kind of trouble with electricity or whatever. And what and about... I'd also recommend a switch on your electric fences to be able to cut off the switch to turn the, turn the s- sections of your fence off. And what about the noble pig? The noble pig is simple as can be. Uh, they need a wire dependent on their size. Again, they're controlled by their chest height. How high is the chest of a, of a 40-pound pig? That's pretty darn close to the ground. Uh, but if you got a big boar or a big sow, you know, they could be standing up 24, 40, or 24 to 30 inches tall. Uh, so basically, uh, one or two hot wires is really simple to control hogs. If you have permanent woven wire fencing, 12-gauge woven wire fencing, like I was describing before, a 939.6 is a good product for them with uh, an offset at about 10 inches. Uh, electric fence on the inside. An offset is a bracket that's attached to the woven wire and has a, a insulator on the inside where you can attach an electric wire to that and keeps it off from off from the woven wire about up to a foot. In that case, if they do, if you're if there are pigs that are in there a long time and they are rooting pigs and they root the the uh, soil and roots and stuff material up against the fence, then you can keep that hot wire about 12 inches up, and that keeps that material away from the woven wire. So pigs are pretty easy to, easy to control. Here on the farm, we have a problem every year with uh, bears getting into our orchard. Do you know of a cost-effective way to use electric uh, to keep them out? <clears throat> well, I would say to uh, uh, I wouldn't if bears are your only problem. Uh, um, electricity works real well with bears because they're very well grounded. Uh, they don't see very well, so a, a tape, a, like a half-inch tape, works pretty good for those. Around here, we got a lot of a lot of apiaries, a lot of people with uh, honey uh, honeybees, and they fence the bear out with uh, two or three um, electric tapes, a half-inch tape, and a portable electric charger. Uh, more of a concern around in our part of the world here is uh, white-tailed deer, and they're really difficult to try to keep out of an orchard. Uh, we've got fences all the way to eight foot tall with electricity uh, on them or f- physical barriers up to eight feet to keep them out of cranberries, keep them out of orchards, and that's pretty what you need for that. Well, this has all been really interesting, Randy. Thanks a lot for uh, for joining me on the show here. You're welcome. Anything, uh, any anything you want to point listeners to? Do you have a website or, or otherwise that you want to promote? Um, I'm having a podcast here uh, on the twentieth. If uh, you're gonna have your, uh, I mean, a webcast, uh, um, oh, a, a webinar, a webinar on the twentieth of May. Um, that's put on by the 
Food Animal Concerns Trust fact out of Chicago. Uh, so if you want to um, tell your listeners about that, if you uh, air this before then, then maybe they'd want to uh, partake. What are you going to be talking about? What's the focus with the webinar? Basically the same types of things, only you'll see my face. <laughs> and look, I've seen your face in your presentation. It's a handsome face. Um, but I imagine I imagine if you're giving your main presentation, it will also go into more depth. So if people... Yeah, and, and I'll be able to show, uh, I think I'll be able to show some things or make some gestures anyhow, uh, at least to help people understand. And also it'll be live, so there'll be questions to... People will be asking questions, I'm thinking, right? Okay, so what should they Google to find uh, that webinar? Uh, food Animal Concerns uh, Trust. Fact. Okay. Thanks again. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right, so Food Animal Concerns Trust. If you want to Google this webinar that uh, Randy's going to be given, giving later in May. I hope you enjoyed that, and I hope you'll consider beyond the ongoing request to send me submissions, send me an email. Let me know what you think of the podcast. It's, uh, I got a decent listenership going, but it's still small enough that I don't hear from people very often, and I sure would appreciate it. Let me know, uh, let me know what I'm doing right, let me know what I'm doing wrong, what you'd like to see done differently, but, uh, you know, I kind of, I'm doing this because I, I really just want to be part of the larger farming community. So if you have at all an inkling to, to, to reach out and say hi, please do so. I'd love to hear from you. Editor at theruminant.ca. Next week, I'm going to be having a gentleman from Australia called Colin Sice on the podcast. He presented some fascinating material at uh, Permaculture Voices 2 in San Diego, all about... Uh, a truly no-till system of agriculture that doesn't generally involve herbicides. He's got a really fascinating set of systems to uh, to do what he does on a on a multiple thousands of acre ranch in Australia, and uh, it's a really cool story. So you can look forward to that. And thanks for listening, folks. Have a great week. A place that is trying to bleed us dry. We could be happy with life in the country, with salt on our skin and the dirt on our hands. I've been doing a lot of thinking, some real soul searching, and here's my final resolve. I don't need a big old house or some fancy car to keep my love going strong. So we'll run right out into the wilds and graces. We'll keep close quarters with gentle faces and live next door to the birds and the bees and live life like it was meant to be.